Well, amen. Open your Bibles, but don't stand just yet, to 1 Samuel chapter 13. <clears throat> 1 Samuel chapter 13. And uh, thank you, Brother Gaddis, for the opportunity. And I've been looking forward to it all week. And it's been exciting to think about getting the opportunity, hopefully be a blessing to our church family. Uh, Y'all have been such a great blessing to us. <clears throat> so today is my wife and I's 29th wedding anniversary. Amen. Look up long suffering in the dictionary and you'll see a picture of Mrs. Raspberry. And uh, so we're, we're excited and uh, very thankful that God brought us through that long dark valley of cancer and treatments and uh, to be cancer free and uh, to have her health almost completely restored. But you know, through that long dark time, there was hardly a week passed without some little ray of light coming into our lives through a text message or a card, um, just some kindness that came our way. And so just want to thank our church family for that. And we'll thank all who were praying for us for tonight. I had a man tell me this morning, so Brother James, I've been praying for you, been praying for your preaching tonight. Sure hope it worked. <laughs> well, amen. Before we get into our message tonight, let me... Uh, let me just interact with the kids for just a minute. I got four jokes for the kids <clears throat> that if you'll remember them, you can share them with your grandparents, your friends at school. All right, four just little kid jokes that kind of almost time with our message tonight. All right, so <clears throat> why was Goliath so surprised when David hit him with a slingshot? It had never entered his mind before. Why was David considered a babysitter? He rocked Goliath to sleep. They get better, okay? I got, got two more. These are kids' jokes, okay? All right, kids, help me out. Knock, knock. No, a little bit better than that. Knock, knock. Goliath. Go lieth down, you looketh tired. <laughs> I love that one. It's one of my all-time favorites. All right, last one. <clears throat> if David killed a bear with his bare hands, what did he use to kill the lion? His lion hands. Bear hands? Lion hands? <laughs> My kids are all rolling their eyes. They've heard that since they were this big. <clears throat> all right, so let's, uh, 1 Samuel 13, let's stand together. We're actually going to read three separate texts, and we're going to pull them all together in the introduction. So look at 1 Samuel 13 <clears throat> and verse number 14, and I'm just going to jump right into the middle of the narrative, and then I'll come back and explain the context when we get started in the message. Verse 14 says, but now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Now chapter 15 and verse number 28. <clears throat> chapter 15 and verse 28. Again, I'll come back to the context in just a few moments. But notice with me, verse 28 says... 
Well, look at verse 27. And as Samuel turned about to go away, he laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle, and it rent. And Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. Now chapter 16 and verse number 1. Chapter 16, verse 1. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. Now go down to verse number 6. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked upon Eli, looked on the sons of Jesse, and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Well, that's a warning to us, isn't it? Sometimes what looks like a good deal is not a good deal. We've already been down that road of the, the big, good-looking fella when we had King Saul. And so verse 7, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. Can you imagine being the seventh and thinking, Surely it's me? And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not come down till he come thither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, and with all of a beautiful countenance, and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. This is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. And so Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. I'm going to stop reading there. Brother Gaddis asked if I would consider preaching this thought that I preached at camp, and I'm happy to do so. I believe that the Lord put it on his heart. That's good enough for me to know that that's his direction for tonight's message. But I, I did rework it to try to make it more applicable to the uh, variety of ages that are in this room. I want you to consider tonight the development of a David. From shepherd boy to spiritual hero, the development of a David. Father, I pray tonight that you'd bless these thoughts. Help us as we open the scriptures, as we study the, these three passages. And help us, Lord, I pray the Holy Spirit would apply them to our hearts. I pray that Christ would be honored and glorified, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Our first text was in 1 Samuel chapter number 13. And though we did not read it, verse 1 of that chapter says that Saul reigned one year and when he had reigned two years over Israel. And so now we find that Saul is in the third year of his reign when he makes this terrible mistake, or not, not even a mistake, it's a transgression of crossing over from the king's authority into the priesthood. That's a serious transgression. He had no business involving himself in the offering of a sacrifice that God had restricted only to the priesthood. And so within three years, he's already failed the Lord and really showing the stubbornness and the, the, the 
uh, the rebellion that, that will mark his reign and mark his life uh, all throughout the scriptures as we have seen in Brother Gaddis's series on Sunday nights. And so when he, when he failed the Lord and Samuel came and addressed him, he said, the, the Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. Now we know who that man is. Acts tells us that David is that man after God's own heart, correct? Now here's what is interesting to me is to do a little bit of math and, and kind of lay out a timeline of events. All right, any of you taking timeline of biblical events may not be too late. All right, but if you lay out a time, that's what new, a class this fall. But anyway, so we know that Dave, we know that Saul reigned for 40 years. Okay, we know that when he died at the end of a 40 year reign, David was 30 years old when he became king. All right, so 40 minus 30 would equal 10, all right? So David was therefore born 10 years into Saul's reign. When I realized that, it's quite amazing to me that God tells Saul that he's seeking a man after his own heart that will command his people and obey God's commandments, and David was not yet even born. It would be another seven years before David would be born in Bethlehem, and yet God said, I've sought a man after my own heart, which tells me that God knew David was coming. He already had a plan for David's life before David was even a sparkle in his father's eye. And I think it's important for us to realize this. You know, we, we have here in our church, in our Sunday school, in our bus ministries, and coming here to Heartland, we have young people that God has had a plan for their life even before they were born. It's quite amazing to me that you realize that we have 18-year-olds coming in as freshmen that were born in 2005, seven years after Heartland moved here. When I realize that, I've got to sit down. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm old, amen. <laughs> so those of you that were here when Heartland made the move and joined in with Brother Davison in his vision and the vision of churches around here to take that old rundown uh, facility and renovate it and scrape up the old pancake syrup off the floors and patch the walls and run the electrical uh, wires and such, that you were doing something that will now benefit those who had not even been born yet Amen. when you were doing that labor. That's right. But you know, God knew they'd be coming. Isn't that amazing? So God's seeking a man after his own heart, and, and uh, David is not even born yet when that statement was made. Our second text was 1 Samuel chapter 15. Here Saul failed again. He did not destroy Amalek. <clears throat> it's a great story. I wish I could go all into it. I love when, when uh, he says, I've obeyed the Lord, and Samuel says, then why do I hear sheep bleeding you know, in the background? Oh, I've obeyed the Lord. Then why is that on your phone? Why is that on your computer? Why aren't you in church, et cetera, et cetera? When the works don't match your testimony, there's a problem, all right? So, but he failed the Lord. He did not completely obey God. He was showing again his rebellion and his self-will, his lack of submission. And uh, when push came to shove, Saul was not going to do things God's way. Saul was always going to do things his way. The last thing we need is more Saul's. Man, we could use a few Davids, though. And so in this passage, in chapter 13, 
Samuel came along again, announced that God was taking his kingdom. He turned to leave from Saul. Saul reached out and grabbed his cloak. And, and as he did so, it ripped apart. And that's when Samuel said that, uh, uh, that as he had rent his, his uh, uh, coat, I lost my spot. I'm in the wrong place. But as he ripped his coat, he said to him, the Lord is rending this away and is going to give it to a neighbor that is better than thou. So we have come from third year of his reign, David's not even born yet, to now a later time in which now David is a neighbor of Saul. He's out there somewhere, but no one knows it. No one realizes it. But God does. Isn't that a blessing? And so Saul fails again. God announces that this will be taking place. There's a neighbor that, of thine. Now, in full disclosure, we don't know exactly when that took place. This is sometime between birth and killing Goliath. Most likely closer to the latter than the former. James Usher wrote the uh, Annals of the World, a chronology starting from Genesis 1-1 going all the way through. And if you have a Schofield reference Bible or a classic reference Bible, those dates at the top in the column, those are Usher's dates. And And uh, they're pretty accurate, not 100%, but they're pretty accurate. And he thinks that David was six or seven years old when that took place. Now, I can't prove that, but it does make my imagination go wild. Because I'm thinking, God has a man after his own heart, and you and I would be like, oh, where is he? Oh, (laughs) it's a six-year-old playing cowboys and Philistines, amen? (laughs) Out there hitting stray cats with his slingshot. I mean, I don't know. I'm just guessing. He's a man after God's own heart. But (laughs) I'm just kidding on that point. And I I just see there's a man after God's own heart, and we're all looking like this. Where's the man? Is he going to be as big as Saul? Is he as impressive as Saul? And yet, oh, look down a little bit. Because he may be only seven years old in first grade Sunday school class this morning. Yeah. He may have been a seven-year-old that got on the bus this morning. He might have been that kid that has trouble sitting still in children's church. And all we can see is a little kid who sometimes might even not behave like he should. And yet God may see a man after his own heart. The third text was the anointing of David by Samuel. Again, we don't exactly know when this took place. We can kind of triangulate a time because it seems to have been uh, not long before David killed Goliath. David probably killed Goliath when he was around 18. I'm I'm just, that's a guesstimate based on he wasn't 20 yet, so he wasn't at the battle. Not long after this, he's getting married. He's, uh, you know, he's a captain in the army, so I'm thinking he's not 12, all right? And so I think it's safe to say he's around 18. Now, I'm not going to go behind the gym and fight you over it. So what do you mean by that? Well, I remember when I was in college, I should explain this, Brother Gaddis, but when I was in college, we had a preacher from an urban area, I forget where it was, like... LA or something. And he came through chapel and he said, well, when my boys and my youth group have trouble and they don't get along, I just take them behind the gym and let them fight it out. 
<laughs> and so that kind of became a thought in my mind. Well, there's some things worth going behind the gym over and there's some things that aren't. Okay, so whether he's 15, 16, or 17, to me, is not worth fighting behind the gym over. But I do find it very interesting that here is a young man, I'm thinking 16, maybe 17 years old, who is uh, the youngest, and I'll get into that in a minute, but here is someone who's young, teenager, and yet he is anointed, he is set apart by God for a purpose. Nobody saw this. Samuel didn't see it. Jesse didn't see it. His brothers didn't see it. But God saw that there was a young man there who had a heart for God who, and he had a purpose for his life and he set him aside for that purpose. Well, we have students coming in freshman students, and who knows what we're going to see their freshman year. I think about that because I have Old Testament survey, and so all the freshmen are in, in my class. And, and sometimes we have the tendency to look at some and say, oh, look, it's Eliab. He's tall and got, got the looks. And then you, you got the kid that can't hardly tie his tie yet. And you think, maybe, well, I don't know. But they start going through the process, and God begins working in their life, and you start to see things change. And you find out that it's not necessarily what's on the outside as much as what's on the inside. And there's going to be hundreds of students coming to Heartland. And I don't mean to just emphasize Heartland, but that's kind of what Pastor wanted me to do tonight. But hundreds of students, many of whom have felt a call of God in their life. And their parents have been raising them and they felt a call of God in their life. And they have come for training and, and, and such. And we need to remember that God has set them aside. And one day we're going to need them. We're going to need them to be ready to face Goliath. Amen. So let me summarize. Saul was going to, is going to lose the kingdom. God was going to seek him after his own heart. About 14 years later, that teenager is anointed to be the next king. And, uh, and, and, of course, we know how the story goes. David goes out and kills Goliath and, uh, and, and goes on to become the greatest king in Israel's history prior to the millennial kingdom of Christ, wrote the book of Psalms, laid up the treasure for the, king, uh, for the, for the temple, etc. The most mentioned person in the Old Testament is David. So I want us to consider this from two point of views. One is the perspective of a David. A young person, young man, young woman who wants to serve the Lord. And then from the perspective perhaps of some of us older folks who may have more of a Samuel perspective, how can we help them? How can we help them? I want you to consider three points if you're taking notes. They are alliterated. If you can't stand that, plug your ears real quick. <laughs> Do you mean, let me give you this three points. Number one. David had to learn the lessons of littleness. You can see this so easily in the circumstances of his youth. He's the youngest of eight brothers. Had at least one sister, Zariah. All those sons of Zariah were his nephews. It's kind of crazy, the family connections in David's life. All these older brothers, and then he's got sisters, and 
Some think that they were half-sisters and maybe some half-brothers in there too. And, and uh, you just imagine all of David's clothes were holy garments. <laughs> Passed down from one brother to the next. His patches had patches, amen. <laughs> Most of the time, I think the danger is the, that the youngest is the baby in the family and gets spoiled, but that's not the case with David. When Samuel comes to visit, they leave David out with the sheep. And Samuel, I can just imagine his dismay at trying to understand why all these sons have passed by. Do you have any others? Oh, yeah, I've got one more. Didn't think you'd want to see him, but we'll call him in. And turns out that it's David. David learned early the lessons of littleness. The lessons of littleness. Now someone may say, David didn't have a choice. But yes, David did have a choice. We all have choices. David could have said, he could have chosen to be bitter, angry, resentful, selfish, and rebellious. He could have said, I'm not giving any respect. My, my own father doesn't, he, he doesn't treat me like he even wants me around. And my older brothers are always mean to me and I'm the youngest and I'm the bottom of the rung on the ladder and I'm angry and resentful and bitter. But you don't find those things in young David's life. If they had been in David's life, I don't think he would have been the man after God's own heart. Each of us has a choice to make. You can take your circumstances and you can be bitter, angry, resentful and rebellious and miss out on the blessings that God has for you because you won't accept the lessons of littleness. Or you can turn your heart over to God, accept the place that God has put you in, learn from it, and then use it for your own growth and development. Let me give you a cross-reference from Psalm 78, historical psalm, which says, when it talks about David, it says, from following the ewes great with young, he brought him to feed Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. You imagine little David following the pregnant sheep around. I, I assume because they're easier to keep track of. I don't know. I... <laughs> and God, when he says, I, you know what? I'm looking for a man after my own heart. I'm going to find this little fellow over here that's following the ewes, great with young. And I'm going to take all those shepherding skills and that heart that he's got. I'm going to use him to feed my people Israel. Isn't that amazing? What we find in David's life is, especially in his youth, is his humility. He's humble before his father. He's humble before uh, Saul. He's humble before, uh, before God, of course. And you find a real humility. And the biggest failures of his life is when he got away from humility, whether it was thinking he could take another man's wife and get away with it, or numbering the people for his own ego. Even Joab knew that was a mistake. And the two times he got away from a humble walk with God were the two greatest failures in his life. When God looks for someone to do big things, he looks for someone little in their own sight. When God looks for someone to do big things, he looks for someone who already knows the world doesn't revolve around them. I do believe that God has laws in His creation. We all believe this. We understand, for example, the law of gravity. Amen. If one of our young men wanted to go up on the roof of the 
auditorium building or the three-story Sunday school building and say, you know what, I'm just going to jump off and fly away. He will soon discover God has a law in place, the law of gravity. And if you want to fly an airplane, you can work with the law of gravity. Or if you want to jump off a house, you can work against the law of gravity. But you can't beat the law of gravity. Well, God has a law of humility. And we can either work with it or we can go against it. For example, Luke 14, 11, whosoever, the, whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. 1 Peter 5, likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, into the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Do you see the law there? God tells us he will resist the proud and give grace to the humble. If we're constantly feel, feeling like there's constant resistance and we're not seeing God's blessings like we, we would desire to see them, maybe it is a pride issue. And maybe the solution to that is humility. What if, what if 401, that's the last number, I, what if 401 students came to Heartland this semester and just decided to work within the law of humility? Wouldn't that be an amazing, and, and the faculty and staff and every, all of us. What if the 401 students came in and said, you know what? Maybe these old folks can actually help us. <laughs> maybe, maybe some of these teachers who have some experience, they're not perfect, but maybe they can help us in some way. And I'm going to sit and listen to what they have to say. What if they sat through chapel instead of criticizing the chapel preacher and nitpicking his sermon and nitpicking him and his, his tie or his hair or his weight or his points or his whatever. Whether his style matches your favorite style or not. What if we actually just sat there and said, you know what? This guy preaches more in one week than I've preached in my whole life. Maybe I'm going to listen instead of playing on my phone and writing notes to my boyfriend and girlfriend the whole time. Wonder what that might... I'm just saying, what, it might be good. Couldn't hurt. What if we had the law of humility? What if we worked within that in our homes with our parents? Amen. Instead of constantly trying to manipulate and get them to go against their convictions so you can have your way. What if you said, you know what, these are the parents God gave me. These are the rules that, that they believe are best. I'm just going to go along with this and, and submit myself instead of constantly trying to have my own way. I don't know, it seems like that might make things better. What if we came to church and instead of each of us doing our own thing, wanted to have our own way and disliking everyone that's a little different than us? What if we came with a little bit of humility and said, you know what, I'm so thankful to be part of this great church and with these great people and this great music and great preaching and all the blessings we get to have a part in instead of nitpicking every little thing that you see wrong. Because you would not like it if we brought you up here and all of us started nitpicking you. Well, I'll move on. 
I know this to be true in my own life. Hey, we all deal with three things. Every one of us deals with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, lust of the ego. Uh, I have a couple of books that are going to be for sale in the bookstore soon if you're interested in buying them. One of, one of them is called Humility and How I Achieved It. <laughs> Ten short lessons on how you can be as humble as I am. The other one is called The Ten Greatest Preachers in America and How I Influenced the Other Nine. I was just... Now, <laughs> pride's a problem. And I found in my own ministry, when I have, been en- have enjoyed the most fruitful times and God's blessings and peace and joy have been when I've been humble before God and humble before others. And I have found also that when I start to get what my dad called too big for my britches, I find that God's resistance, I find conviction, I find trouble, I find a lack of peace. And I have to repent again. I'm just saying David learned the lessons of littleness. If God puts you in a little place, hey, it shouldn't be that hard to fill it. You know what? And if you fill that little place, maybe God will put you in a bigger place. God certainly did with David. Let me move on. Number two, not only did he learn the lessons of humility or the lessons of littleness, but he he had to experience the training of talents. Now, what are the two talents I think of when I think of David? Music and mayhem. He's a musician and a warrior, a super talented musician, a super, super talented warrior. When we speak of someone being talented, we often act as though that just comes naturally without any effort at all. But the fact is that anyone who is talented has a developed talent. I think about the shepherd's sling that David used. And I, I bought this on Amazon. You can buy these online. I think that would be a great Christmas present for all the junior age boys. I can't see of anything going wrong with that idea. <laughs> and so I, I thought, oh, I'll learn how to use that. And I, I took it home, went behind the house. And in fact, I'll show you, I got this big rock. This is like, in David's time, this would be like equivalent to a 50 cal, okay? <laughs> and uh, so I'm going to show you real quickly how, no, probably, probably not for the best idea. And I went behind my house. I got some rocks. I'm going to throw them at the fence. And I'm, I'm slinging these things. I'm, I mean, it may be that this is not a very good sling. Because, I mean, they weren't going where I wanted them to go. They're flying over the top of me. They're hitting the house. My wife's like, you're going to break a window. Worse, you're going to break your neighbor's window. And I'm like, okay, you know what? This is going to be a sermon illustration <laughs> and not something I ever learned how to use. But I, I did look it up on YouTube. And, and man, it's, it's a talent. And there's different ways to do it. You can do it overhead like this, typically the way we think of it, and sling it out like that. One guy on YouTube says, actually, it's, it's better if you do a cross in front of your body like this and then sling it out. Some guys, you know, can do it underhand like an underhand pitch or like a, a pitch from the side like that, and they sling it out. Some guys actually put them on sticks and they'll sling it like a, like a bat and then let it go like, for a little extra impact. But I just know when the Bible talks about people being able to hit within a hair's breath, that's a talent. Try to sling that around, let that go at just the right time. I mean, David has spent a lot of hours out in the field hitting cans and cats and coyotes and before he ever went into the field and faced Goliath. That's a difficult tool to use. 
I think about David on the lyre or the harp. That's a difficult instrument to play. Young Davids need to submit to the training process. Training's hard and it can be embarrassing. You've got to be willing to make a fool of yourself if you're ever going to master what you're trying to do. I don't care if it's music and you hit the wrong notes all the time. I don't care if it's preaching and, and you say stupid things. I tell my students, I don't mind embarrassing myself if it'll help them. But I preached a watch night service and my wife was very great with child, our second do- uh, daughter, Rebecca. And it was a watch night service like 1130 at night. And my text was James 1, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin and sin when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And the title of my message was giving birth to a monster. (laughs) My wife sitting on the second pew. All the women in the church looked over her like, why did you marry this man? You've got to be willing to take correction and embarrass yourself, and then you learn, then you get better. I'm going to hurry a little bit. I'm kind of running out of time, but I, let me challenge us. And Southwest has such a great music program. Many churches have almost no music program. And many churches, they have somebody, but they're not training any new musicians. And how are we going to have godly music if our kids are only playing Guitar Hero and, and they're never learning to play the piano. And I'm not against guitar, don't get me wrong. But I, I mean, to, if, if we don't have anyone that's taking piano lessons or learning how to play an organ, how long before we have no one to play these instruments any longer? And I'm not, I'm not saying that's a great problem at Southwest, obviously not. But it is in many churches. And I think that we ought to emphasize it and that some young people ought to surrender to the music ministry. Whether it's leading singing, amen, Because a lot of churches cannot pay a song leader. My song leader for 20 years was a Garland police officer. Brother Camp, great man. And he he dealt with policemen work all week. And then on Sunday he came in, he led the music, led our choir, did a great job. But he was trained, even though he never was in full-time ministry. We need some men who will submit themselves to to be song leaders and musicians and some young men and some young ladies that will learn to play the instruments. And we're not going to have godly music for another couple of generations if we don't have young... Where are we going to get the young people to play these instruments? We don't find them at the job fair. We find them in our churches. All four of our kids took piano and I think I spent more time driving back and forth to piano practice but I also think that was one of the best investments of time I ever made as a, as a parent and a pastor. And then we've got to let Heartland students develop their talents. You know, young preachers need to preach. John Broadus said the way to learn how to preach is to preach. And the way to preach better is to preach more. <laughs> you say, well, what if they say something done? Not, not, not if, when. But we've got to give them opportunities to preach. And soul winners need to be trained. And some of us maybe that have experience in knocking on doors could be going with some freshmen perhaps this semester that don't have that experience. And we've got to let them knock on the door and talk because they've got to get that experience. Well, they'll say something dumb. Well, they've got to get that experience. And future bus directors and bus captains, they got to learn, they got to have those experiences. And what we've got to be careful of is, well, they won't do it as well as I will, so I got to do it. Well, they might do it as well as you do one day, but they got to start somewhere. 
they got to get some experience. And that's why it's, so, it's such a great church here, because for all these years, young people have been coming from all over the country and gaining experience from people in this church that know what they're doing. But we got to keep doing that. Well, the lessons of littleness, I mean, training of talents, reading a book about a slingshot is not the same as getting out there and throwing some stones. One last point, and that is he developed a hunger for holiness. God really didn't need a slingshot. He needed a guy, he needed a man that had the right heart. In Psalm 63, David said, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee, my soul thirsteth for thee. Now the bottom line is, some people love God and some people don't. You know it's true. Some people love God, some people don't. And some people have a real hunger for God, and some people are totally satisfied by the things of this world. And I want to challenge us. We need some young men, some young ladies. I don't care if you're seven years old right now or 17, who develop a love for the Word of God, a love for prayer, a love for church, a love for witnessing, a love for serving, a love for preaching, a love for sharing the Word of God with the lost world. That's a hunger for holiness. Psalm 63, again, my soul followeth hard after thee. Psalm 27, one thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. David never sought the kingdom. David sought God. He never sought greatness. He sought God's glory. He never sought a great position. He wanted to dwell in the house of God. And God can trust the man who doesn't want anything but him. Now let me challenge you again, especially the younger folks and, and all of us really. If you have that hunger for holiness, don't let anyone quench it. There's always going to be an Eliab coming along and criticizing your desire to serve the Lord. Let us older people not be that Eliab. I talked to a young man recently at the youth con. He was going to be a church planner one day and he was asking some questions. Or actually, he told me about his current situation. And, he's, and he's, he said, well, what do you think, Brother Raspberry? And I said, well, you know what? I really don't want to douse your enthusiasm. He said, Brother Asbury, I just want you to tell me the truth. And so I told him what I thought, but I said, you know what? I'm not always right. We got to be careful. I have a missionary friend, and I mean, his goal was to start a certain number of churches on the reservation a certain amount of time. And an older preacher patted him on the head and said, that's cute. <laughs> and you know, by now he has started the number of churches he said he was going to start. Why would I want to pat someone on the head and say, that's cute? Why would I want to quench the spirit of God's work in someone's life? Don't be a stumbling block. Be a stepping stone to someone so they can serve the Lord and become the David that we need. We don't need more carnal, rebellious souls. It may be that God has a man after his own heart even here, and we're looking around like this for him, but actually we ought to be looking down because there he is, doodling in his bulletin. But he's not always going to be a six-year-old. May God help us, and may God help the young Davids to realize that God has a plan that began before you were born, 
But sometimes we got to learn the lessons of littleness and take that hum- have that humility and the training of talents. It's embarrassing, it's hard, it's difficult, but we've got to train those talents and we've got to develop that hunger for holiness. And then who knows what God will do in our lives. Father, I pray tonight that you work in our hearts now through these thoughts. I thank you for the, just the privilege of being involved in any way in your great work. And I pray, Father, if there's some young people here that have a heart for, uh, for holiness, have a heart for you, that you just bless them. Help them not to be discouraged. Help them not to be swayed. Help them to follow your plan and purpose for their lives. Help them to train their talents. Father, I pray that you'd work in the invitation time now, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.